Hey everybody, it's Bevan. Welcome to Bevan, Femme Over 40 and Her Friends podcast. I'm your host, Bevan. I've said my name three times and I've got my co-host, Biscuit Reynolds. Uh, so it's time to start the show. You're going to hear some snorts from Biscuit Reynolds. He is um, my cat. And by cat, I mean, you know, multiple species in one, uh, a really magical Muppet and all that. You can hear him right now. I'm certain making whatever weird noises he's making. Okay. I, I swear this isn't a podcast about my cat. Um, today we're going to talk about um, my experience building a business for five years. Um, I am, uh, let's see, a multi-passionate entrepreneur is my favorite way to say that. I have uh, created so many businesses. Um, I have been like queen side hustle for much of my adult life. And so having something that I've been committed to for five years that has just been such an all-in endeavor has been really incredible. And I'm really, really excited and thrilled uh, that my life is where it is, that I'm creating what I create. And I want to share it with you because I want to inspire you to figure your thing out and to also be really cool <laughs> if it takes you 20 years like it took me to figure out what your thing is in the world. Um, and also if it takes you 40 years, who cares, right? Like the best things come from people's hearts and the wisest things come through experience and applied experience too, because I know just from watching the people in my life that age does not mean wisdom. Wisdom is applied experience, evaluated experience even. So, um, I hope some of my story helps to inspire you to just like do the thing, tinker with the thing, um, try the risk. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of my background uh, before we dive in. So I uh, went to school like most folks. Uh, my mom in many ways kind of treated, you know, the song Fancy by Reba McIntyre, uh, where they were in the song. Her mom is like basically like teaching her how to dress to appeal to men. And she said, basically, Fancy, you're going to need to find a man to take care of you. And this is how your life is going to go. And she was like, basically, good luck. Here you go. Um, that's kind of how my mom was about education. I don't think she would identify that in any way, but that was my experience of like, there is only one way for you to, to do this life and it's education. Um, and I think that was true for my mom's generation is like an education, a college education, a bachelor's degree was a leg up in the marketplace. That is not true today. Uh, it's not true in any way today. Um, in fact, uh, getting it's it's the most backwards thing actually I've ever done to get a job in my life, which was to go into hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt um, and uh, then have to get a job for the rest of my life to pay it back. Right. But I didn't think about it that way because it was the only thing I knew to do. So I went straight to college out of high school and then I went straight to law school out of undergrad um, because I thought like. Um, well, the dot-com bubble was bursting and I didn't think I could get a job. So then I was like, well, everyone says I should be a lawyer. Maybe I should just do that. That was really like my thought process around it. I was listening to an Ani DeFranco song on my bike at the University of California, Davis. I can remember the bike circle I was in when I realized, oh, I could just be a feminist lawyer because I can just be a feminist at whatever I'm doing, right? So that's how I convinced myself. Just go to law school, make all this debt um, for this thing. By year two of law school, I was taking a criminal procedure class and I knew, I knew in my heart, and that was my intuition and my heart and a cognitive awareness of all of that stuff. And frankly, I can look back and see lots of times where I had my intuition, but I wasn't paying attention to it. Oh, I was paying attention. I knew at that moment when in criminal procedure, where I made the realization, oh, we're just playing chess with people's lives. This is really, really screwed up. I can't, I, I don't think I want to do this. I could have dropped out then. But I was so afraid of that. I had already 
racked up probably 60 grand in debt just from law school. And, uh, and I was going to a public law school in the like early aughts. So it's not nearly as expensive as it is now because they just keep raising the tuition and keep giving people more loans. Um, and it's so weird. This society is going so backwards and it's really scary actually. Um, but that's the thing is like, I have all this awareness and all this wisdom now as like a 43 year old person looking back on decisions I made when I was 20. Um, and I did not have the awareness or people in my life to teach me how to make smart decisions around my money and my time. Um, and my desire to help the world. Cause I really did go to law school cause I wanted to help people. Um, but there's lots of ways to help people and the right way for you to help people is from what is coming through your heart genuinely through your experience. Usually it's something related to what you've had to go through in your life. Um, cause we go the way and then we show the way that's true success. That's significance, um, beyond success. Right. So I, um, so I'm in law school, but mind you, Going to law school gave me the guts to move to New Jersey. I don't think I would have ever just moved to New Jersey on a whim. I definitely moved to New Jersey inspired by Kevin Smith movies and enabled by getting an advertisement for Rutgers Law School in the mail that my friend wrote on. So I even paid attention to it. I got a lot. Once I took the LSAT, which is the qualifying exam to get into law school, I got all this mail from all these places trying to get me to go to law school there. But New Jersey, I knew about from Kevin Smith movies. And so I applied on a whim because I had one more law school application I had prepaid for. And so I got in, I got a scholarship, I moved to New Jersey, but then I fell in with the right crowd of people. So mind you, I'm realizing law probably isn't for me, but also recommitting to it because I just don't see any other options. And simultaneously, I'm like transforming my whole life. Like that same year, I really like came into my own. I came into body confidence. I met people in the fat liberation movement. I was performing as a drag king and you heard that right. Yes. Gender drag, um, and very strong masculine drag too, I should say. Um, my drag character was named Dick Carrier. Uh, I was, I would literally name myself after a friend of a friend's dad. Uh, that was his real name. And I was like, man, that's a good drag king name. Uh, and I was a Texas politician. I was able to make a lot of political performance. There. It was a really fun thing for me to do. I was very devoted to my troop, spent a lot of time on my art and activism, also working part-time for a lawyer, recognizing how miserable <laughs> that was. I was like, oh my God, for sure not this, um, but still, still going to school for it. I really wanted to be an immigration lawyer because my mom uh, was actually a, an undocumented immigrant. Um, her and her siblings uh, and her mom came from Canada and, and her dad too. My, um, my mom's dad was deported because he got uh, arrested too many times. Uh, you know, drunk driving on a horse, stuff like that. Real story. Um, and my grandmother just never took care of the paperwork for her kids and let them be undocumented. And that was the time where you could walk into the social security office and just get a number. And so that's what they had. And they're white because they're Canadian. I mean, not because they're Canadian, but they're white and Canadian. And that's not subject to the same kind of policing that brown immigrants are, which is really unfortunate. And so my family certainly has a lot of white privilege in that. And um, so I really wanted to go into immigration law because I just saw like my mom go through the amnesty process. So my mom is a citizen now. Um, and she went through, she's a dual citizen, actually. She went back and applied and got um, her Canada stuff taken care of. So um, during the Trump administration, you know, we're all trying to protect ourselves. Um, so I wanted to do immigration law. I could not find a job in immigration law. I graduated law school in what I call the hateful Bush economy. And of course, these are all stories you tell yourself, right? The economy is whatever it's going to be. But if you're doing your best, 
and like you're out there shining your light, like your needs are going to get taken care of. That's something I truly believe just from a spiritual perspective and something I've experienced just the last couple of years in this pandemic, not being able to tour my class, which is like the primary way that this makes money and gets in front of new people. Um, and instead just focusing on the membership and like, you know, tightening the belt and just doing what I can to like, keep it afloat. Um, so, uh, we get out of law school, we get whatever job we can get, which was through all the jobs I've ever gotten were through people I knew. And, um, so I got connected up to, from my girlfriend's best friend who worked at a mortgage company who hired lawyers. She knew a lawyer in North Jersey who was willing to meet up with me, um, to introduce me potentially to some friends. And then he was like, oh, I just want to offer you a job. And I was like, great, residential real estate it is. And so that's how I got my specialty. I became very good at residential real estate. In fact, I think looking back, I was a great residential real estate lawyer. I saved almost all of my clients money um, on their transactions. I helped them have a peaceful, trusting experience with something that is very convoluted um, and has a lot of curveballs. Real estate is really wacky. Um, but you know, it wasn't bad and it wasn't like, it was transactional, which like there are two types of lawyers and clueless. She begins, my dad's a litigator. That's the scariest kind of lawyer. Full agree. Um, uh, Erica Jane's abusive husband, uh, ex-husband, Tom Girardi, a litigator, right? Worst kind of lawyers, bullies. I worked for a litigator for a while, very emotionally abusive. And, um, anyway, I knew I was never going to be a litigator. Uh, so transactional it was. I did really well. I had that job for five years in 2008. I, and I, but I also like was driving back and forth to work, like thinking commuting is a scam. Why do we have to do this? Like this is before smartphones um, and before GPS even. I know wild, right? Um, but like, I really was like, oh man, like why are we doing this? <laughs> and, um, but not kind of, didn't have a path, didn't know how to get out of it. I thought, oh, maybe I'll go have more school. Um, so I thought maybe I would go back and get my master's in library and information science, uh, which I did not do, thank God. Um, so I could become a law librarian because you need both degrees to be a law librarian at a university so I could get my PhD in women's studies. So really, I was just like on the school track because that's all I knew because that's what I was raised. It's like go to school and that's how you change your life. It's not true. You do need an education, but there's lots of ways to get an education in the world. And it's not all through institutions. And now that we're in the information age, there's so much on the internet. There's so many ways to connect to people who can teach you different ways of being in the world. Man, you've got so many options, so many ways to learn stuff. The world is your oyster. You just got to grab it. Um, so at the time I was in my limiting beliefs, uh, and I walked into work, uh, in 2008, <laughs> And my boss was like, well, your job doesn't exist anymore. Our biggest business just went, our biggest client just went out of business um, and I'm closing the firm. And I realized then that job security is a myth. That is something that is just made up to placate us. Uh, what I realize now um, is that uncertainty is real life. And believing that something is certain is actually just a belief you have. Um, and the other side of uncertainty though is possibility, which I think is really beautiful. So um, if you can train yourself and this is thought work um, to change your worrying thoughts. Well, first you got to recognize that you're worrying, right? Like, cause you could just worry all day long. I used to worry constantly. I used to berate myself. My thought life was really nasty in there. So if you, and this, I learned how to do this from meditating. And I'm sorry to say this is pretty much always the answer is meditation. Um, and so by meditating, I learned how to become the observer of my thoughts and not just like 
flying around in them, right? Not just subject to them, but truly the observer. Like, what am I thinking? Why am I thinking that? Um, and interrupting a worry. Because a worry is just coming up with worst case scenarios, right? And when I lost my job, man, I, I had to worry a lot, right? Like, I was like, oh, no, how am I going to solve this? And the answer is one day at a time, right? The answer is apply for unemployment. And like, oh, Obama in 2008 gave us like a lot of extended unemployment. That was a really great time to be unemployed. Um, it wasn't like this time during the pandemic where you got extra money for being unemployed. We just got extra time. So I was living on, man, I shrunk my income from, I think I was making 80,000 a year um, when I got laid off which is a lot and also not a lot when you have a massive student loan debt, right? Um, and so I just like started forbearing my loans and like shrinking. I luckily had just gotten a roommate because I wanted to travel more um, and I needed someone who could like share rent and also like be there for my cats when I was gone. And um, I was so glad that that had all lined up. I was still living in Jersey City. Uh, I was like, ah, oh, what do I do? So. I kind of just took the unemployment ramp to, okay, let me start my own law firm because I knew like there, I knew how much my boss was making off of my transactions. I knew how much I was making. And I was like, let me close that gap. Cause I, I made him a lot of money. <laughs> I mean, I made good money while I was working there, but I made him a lot of money. I like increased the whole department. I hired all the legal assistants anyway. Um, so all that to say, I then was like, okay, let me try to simplify my life and like, do uh, kind of what I've been doing lately. And, and in fact, I want to give myself a lot of credit for learning how to change my lifestyle in order to match my dreams. Because like, um, like my therapist likes to say, if you can't be happy living in a trailer, you're not going to be happy living in a mansion. And that is totally true. So you've got to learn how to thrive where you are. But also like, there's so much wealth that we just spend. You know what I mean? Like I haven't had Starbucks in three years. And that's a true story. Um, because I just stopped being able to afford it, right? I haven't gotten my nails done in three years. Like it's, <laughs> it's been some time. Um, but you know, you just tighten the belt where you can and like, uh, figure out what's an, a legit extra and like learn how to satisfy whatever need you get out of stopping at Starbucks to get that beverage with something else that maybe is free. And maybe, maybe it's meditation or taking a walk in the woods. I don't know. Those things bring me a lot of joy and a lot of peace, way more peace than, um, a pumpkin spice latte. Although I will say I do miss a pumpkin spice latte, you know, just once a year, you know what I mean? And I don't even want the milk part. Just give me a couple of pumps of pumpkin spice. Anyway. Um, so I get laid off from my job. I'm like deciding to start my own firm. And for some reason I got in my head that I should start my firm in Brooklyn, uh, because my boss was based out of North Jersey and I just didn't want him to feel like I was trying to compete with him for business. Um, cause we got a lot of business in Jersey city. And, um, so I was like, and plus I wanted to move to Brooklyn. My friends were there. I was able to work part-time at a clothing store, a plus size women's resale or no, it wasn't just women's. It was plus size resale boutique for anybody, but mostly women. Um, and it was really fun to work there. We got health insurance, which was really awesome. And, uh, that really, and, and I knew I could always pay my rent because I had this part-time job. So then I was doing my lawyering and I like hung a shingle. This is in a time where not a lot of lawyers had websites or Yelp profiles. So I got in front of a lot of clients who were like me, who were like young 30 something people who like could, could use the internet to find a lawyer. And so it wasn't like I was ever living anywhere beyond just over broke. Like if I could have gotten like one more client a month, I could have been living a lot better. 
but you know, I was happy. And that was the important thing. Like I was like also be able, I wasn't working a ton cause I was very good at my job so I can work fast. Um, and I've also learned more at 43. I know a lot more about my neurodivergence and like the way my brain works to realize, Oh, this is why I thought nine to five was a scam. Cause I can get all of my work done in about an hour, an hour and a half that it takes somebody else to do in nine hours. But I'm also like very taxed by that that energy output. And so I need a lot of like downtime to like come back to that level of productivity. So it's really interesting um, how people are different and how humans are designed differently to have different strengths to bring to collectively level up humanity. There are some indigenous cultures where they raise their kids to believe that their most sacred thing they can do is to simply be who they're supposed to be and bring their gifts to humanity. And they're raised with the responsibility of fostering those gifts and raising them up. And I think that our human potential is totally wasted in the school system. I think it really gets us all tied up into conformity and achievement versus um, whatever we need to thrive. I think the idea of an individualized education plan, they call it IEP, for quote unquote special needs kids is totally dumb. Every kid should have an IEP. Every kid deserves that. Every kid deserves to be individualized and connected to and and fostered, right? But that's not how things are. <laughs> not yet, anyway. Um, so all this time, it's funny because like I was lawyering and I was like doing my art and activism on the side. And this is where I was essentially fostering myself. I was just trying to figure out what am I really here to do? How can I help the world? Because when I was 22 and I fell in with that drag king troupe, I found people who thought my body was awesome the way it was, like that there's no wrong way to have a body. I understood what queer was from those people. I understood like the gender spectrum and like gender universe, really. It's not even a spectrum. It's just like a whole, a whole mess of human diversity, right? In a beautiful, beautiful way. And um, so I'm like in this new world and I finally met people who identified as queer fat femmes and that changed my life because like I had never even known a fat person who loved themselves. I had never seen a naked fat body. This is very true until I was 22, 21, 21. I saw my first naked fat body of another woman and I was like, oh my God, that looks like my body. And like, I just, it was like a whole new world and I wanted to help people connect to that world who weren't fortunate like I was to fall in with the right group of people, right? Um, so I wanted to be that like friend, right, on the internet. So I started a podcast um, right around, I was still working as a lawyer at that, or I was still working in my law firm when I started the podcast. So I did this podcast called Femcast, The Queer Fat Fem Guide to Life. Um, I had correspondence. It was heavily edited. I did like um, usually a big interview with somebody. And then I had a lot of different segments with people. It was about an hour long. It was 60 hours of work to put it together for one hour of episode content. Um, I had a friend who was editing it for me. It was like such a collaborative experience. It was very fun, a lot of work, and I'm glad I did it, but like I couldn't sustain it. So I was doing that on the side. I started a blog, the blog that still exists, queerfatfem.com. Um, I just started blogging. I keep kind of relaunching the blog and, and writing again, and I'm very committed to continuing to write. It's definitely on my heart, and I have a lot of posts that are coming through. Um, I'm really just like here to help people figure out how to have peace. Um, all I've ever done is just figure out how I can find peace and share the recipe with everybody. So I'm here to share my recipe and literal recipes too, because a lot of how I experience joy in the world is having no wasted meals. Like I really like every meal to be delicious and I've learned how to cook because of that desire. Um, and there's some basics in how you care for yourself and what can really help you thrive in the world. So anyway, so I started that blog 
Uh, it was a lot about dating at the time because that was like my primary interest. <laughs> I really loved dating. Like I loved the pursuit. Uh, I love getting dressed up, getting taken out to dinner and being complimented. Right. My friend Rachel uh, told me that she's like, if those three things aren't happening, then don't waste your time. And, um, and you know, like someone doesn't have to take you out to a fancy dinner. I am very happy with like a cute little picnic. Right. Um, anyway, all that to say, I was doing a lot on the side of my lawyer gig and, um, it was really great to like have my art and activism be the thing I was spending 90 hours of my week on. And then, um, my work be like 10 to 15 hours a week. That was really great. And I did that up until, Oh, and then I was also nightlife producing. So from the drag experience, once the troupe kind of fizzled out, I still really wanted to put on parties. I love throwing parties. I love bringing people together. And um, I have like massive social anxiety, which you would not know <laughs> unless I talk to you about it. Um, a lot of bullying experience, a lot of trauma as a child. So like my trust with other humans has been something I've been working on repairing. Um, and so throwing parties is a way that I can be at a party, but also feel some sense of control and curation. Plus I like to do it. I, I think it's in service to the community. So I threw, um, I threw a few one-off parties and then I got my own monthly gig at Sugarland, this like kind of dive club in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And this is a great example of how the neighborhood changed. So when I first started throwing my party, it was like a desolate warehouse district in Williamsburg. And on the last day of the last uh, Rebel Cupcake at Sugarland, uh, it closed not long after that. Um, there were two high-rise residential apartment buildings that had risen up right next to this little dingy club. Um, and we stopped, we stopped being able to use the outside deck. It was really sad, actually. But it was a really great party. A lot of fun things happened. Um, this is not a Rebel Cupcake <laughs> reminiscent podcast. But some of the favorite things I ever did on the second anniversary of Rebel Cupcake, um, I made a big deal out of it. I have forced myself to make a big deal out of these anniversaries for these projects that I keep moving forward. And I think that's important to me. It's like there's some part of me that um, wants to diminish my accomplishments. And there's a healing part of me that says, no, you worked hard at this. This is still going. Like, let's celebrate that this is still a thing and that this thing is awesome. So that's kind of why I'm like doing this episode and like reflecting on the aerobics class I've kept alive for five years. Um, so Rebel Cupcake, the second anniversary party, I think was my favorite ever. And I had Kate Bornstein, a hero of mine, an amazing author. All of her books are great. Incredible performer. I had her come in and read, do a reading. And then um, I had uh, her partner, Barbara Corellis, uh, who is also an amazing author, an amazing teacher. Um, she wrote the book Urban Tantra and Ecstasy is Necessary. Both are really great and I would suggest if you're on a long time solo period of your life, ecstasy is next necessary as a really good journey to just connect to yourself and connect to your body. Um, so Barbara did a fireplay demo. And if you're not familiar with BDSM <laughs> or what fireplay is, it's a way of utilizing tools that have fire on them uh, for sensation play on a partner's body. Do not try fireplay without taking a class. Please take a class. Please take a class. Did you hear me say take a class? Okay. Um, as a Girl Scout, there's a lot of fire safety involved in kink. Um, and there's a lot of safety protocols involved in kink, which I enjoy a lot. So I think that's like, to me, I'm like, you have to take a class because there's so much safety you need in order to safely connect fire to someone's body. But wow, it's beautiful to watch. And I was like, so excited to have that 
um, at the party. And I filmed a lot of what we did at Rebel Cupcake and I'm super grateful for the archive, super grateful to specifically shout out Laura Delorado who like did a lot of that filming just cause she was like, Hey, she just hit me up and was like, Hey, can I film your, your parties? And I was like, for sure. Um, but we didn't film that one because it was a naked person getting fire. Um, and then there would be a dance party. So there was this like 30 minute show that I would put on and then a dance party. It was really fun. I loved it. And, um, I did it for many years, uh, probably five years total actually, but like, um, a little inconsistency towards the end because, um, my partner Dara had chemo and I wasn't throwing the party during her chemo and radiation treatments. Um, it all kind of like wound down in kind of a perfect trajectory. Okay. So moving to LA, I never thought I would move to LA. I thought I was going to be in New York and then move to Atlanta because it's my hometown of choice. It's where my bestie Rachel lives. Um, and I really was looking forward to like having those peaceful Southern lifestyles. But, um, I had a partner who like really, we went through this whole cancer experience. She was, she had always wanted to move to LA. She had lived there before, um, and was just trying to get there. And I think, you know, I'm going to be honest with you because we're besties. Uh, she's really codependent and controlling. And so she like, and I realized this in hindsight, but did not realize it at the time. And she wouldn't move to LA without like the, the partner to like support the thing. She tried, uh, to move on her own and it didn't stick because she got cancer. So she came back to New York. Um, and then what's funny is we did move to LA. Like she convinced me to move. And then she ended up having all this work in New York that like the last year of our relationship, she was in New York, like three out of every four weeks a month, you know, like it was so weird. I was like, you worked so hard and moved me <laughs> to this town, but you're not even here. Uh, anyway, so I did not want to move to LA. I didn't ever want to move back to California. I grew up in the Bay area and I was like, that was enough. Um, I like also recognize that the Bay area is like half too crowded. Like it's like, I grew up when it was like just crowded enough and like now it's just way too crowded. And, um, anyway, so I was like, no way I'm moving back to California, but she worked really hard to convince me to go. And I really was excited at the prospect of living near my grandmother for the first time. And that was kind of something I knew I was really missing when I was living in Brooklyn was just not being able to just pick up and go visit with grandmother. Um, I did a cross country road trip right after that clothing store closed. Um, I lost my job. I didn't have any law clients. I was like kind of spinning out and like, didn't know what I was going to do. And I looked up how much it would cost to drive my Prius, um, with gas to go around the country. And then like the very next day, just on a whim, just to see if I could go visit grandmother. Cause I had time. Right. I just didn't have money. And then I got an ad on my blog and someone said, we want to pay you for a year long ad. Here's the exact amount of money. It was like 425 bucks for like that, the gas cost to get me there. And then right before I left, I got another ad on my blog, uh, for another like 300 bucks. And that paid for all the hotels I needed, which was hardly any because I have friends all over the country. I'm so grateful. It was like, as I was driving, I, I just like imagined that I was stitching hearts together across the country. I was like, I am so loved. Like it was a really good way for me to learn how to receive love. It was the last time I ever saw my grandfather alive, my dad's dad. Um, I stopped in Merced, saw my dad. I was able to stop in um, Ventura and see like my, uh, an ex of mine who had just gotten sober um, and had, we had made amends and like, it was such a beautiful connection. And then I got to go see my grandmother in Palm Springs and like cry for two days. 
And she was such an emotionally safe space for me. And I had not had the experience of someone I was related to being an emotionally safe space for me. Um, and we became besties on that trip. I'm so glad I took that risk. And I just like left and drove and did the thing. And I only came back uh, to New York when I did because I had a rebel cupcake to throw. Um, so uh, having had that road trip and like, you know, knowing like, okay, California is like pretty cool. Like, you know, maybe, maybe getting to live near grandmother would be an amazing experience. So that was kind of the thing that, that like pushed me over the edge to go with Dara. Um, and then I'll also say this, a friend of mine died and there's always some lesson for me in, in a loss. And when my friend died, I remembered one of the reflections, she had just moved back to the Bay area, like a year before, after living in um, Rhode Island for a long time. And she had a great job. She had like a dream job in Rhode Island, but she like, you know, the Bay was calling her. And so she just went and she just reflected that like moving was like one of the best decisions she ever made, like just leaping and moving. And so then I was like, and Dara had been lobbying me hard to go to LA. And so I was like, you know what, maybe leaping and moving is the right choice. And so I did like that friend dying really did, did stack the deck for me to just make the decision. Um, and so I said to Dara, I would move. I said, I need nine months to just like get my stuff sorted, close up my business. Cause like I worked for myself. I had my own business. I couldn't take my law career with me. This was also the carrot too. Dara really wanted me to go. Uh, she's like, uh, cause I had my own law firm and I was licensed to practice law in New York and New Jersey, not California. I had promised myself when I took the bar that I was never going to take the bar again. So I, uh, and, I mean, I was like one and done. I was like, if I don't do this, I'm, we're figuring something else out. Um, I also, I had to take out a $10,000 loan just to take the bar exam. Cause you have to pay for, um, you pay for law school and then you have to pay to take the bar and then you have to pay to like study for the bar. Cause they don't actually teach you everything you need for the bar in law school. It is such a racket. You guys, it's such a racket. Um, anyway, so I, I knew I wasn't going to take the bargain. I was definitely going to leave this law career behind, but Dara was like, well, I'm making enough consulting. I can support your career, career transition. Um, if you want to leap and become whatever you want to become. So I made the decision. We're going to move to LA. Boop, boop, boop. This is a mid <laughs> roll advertisement. Um, I promised myself when I started this podcast, every episode, I would tell you about my Patreon page, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash F-K-D-P is uh, my Patreon page. I literally live entirely supported by my Patreon. Thank you to everyone out there who supports. Membership starts at seven bucks a month. It includes every single Zoom class, I teach every month, which is at least five. The last couple months have been well more than five uh, per month, plus uh, lots of other updates I don't share anywhere else. I'm posting an, a whole thing about all the daily habits I do. Like if you want me to pass you the piece, this is the full recipe. So all of that, patreon.com slash FKDP for 25 bucks a month. That's what I would call a sustaining level of membership. That is why I'm able to do this podcast and teach my aerobics as my job is because of the on-demand membership. So that's Fat Kid Dance Party Live. It's 25 bucks a month. It includes six aerobics classes at a time. They're pre-recorded. I film them in the woods or when I'm lucky enough to be able to teach class in person, I uh, record those classes just for the on-demand membership. There's always a 10-minute class, a 20-minute class, two 55-minute classes, a chair aerobics class, 
and a canna size class, which is slower, more repetitive choreography for use with an optional cannabis experience. Uh, all of that plus bonus classes from other body positive instructors I love. Plus there's such an amazing treasure trove. Patreon has been such an amazing tool for me to, to leverage in order to create um, a membership support platform that's easy to cancel. It, it is available worldwide. Like this is just stuff I could never have built out on my own. Patreon is just a, an amazing tool for creators. I also have a discord page, which is like our virtual locker room. It's like a little message board. If you're familiar with, uh, the 90s. If you're an AOL person, like if that's how you met the internet, like Discord is totally for you. Like you totally get Discord. Um, it's discord.com. It's through .com or through an app. Uh, but it's really fun. And there are a lot of different clubs I'm on on Discord now, lots of different places to connect with new people um, and make real life friends out of the folks that you meet in your aerobics class, right? So all of that, plus a treasure trove of archives of lessons I've taught patreon.com slash fkdp if you value the work that i'm doing in the world please connect over there um, you can also follow for free over there there's a few occasional free posts i post uh, but in this age i'm really working to create less for mark zuckerberg and his platforms and create more for the ones that i own um, and i'm only able to do that because of support from folks like you who find it valuable so thank you so much for considering and on with the rest of the show Okay, so if you had told me that I was going to move to LA and become an aerobics instructor like seven years ago, I would have laughed at you. Now, mind you, I've had this aerobics class going for five years, so it was a pretty turn, pretty strong turnaround in my life when I was like, okay, we're going to leap, we're going to move uh, for love. I was like very trepidatious about moving and being supported by someone um, with good reason. <laughs> And, you know, if I could have it to do it all over again, I would do it all over again because I got to spend a year living like door to door, two hours away from my grandmother, my beloved grandmother. Um, and then she passed away and I got to spend a lot of time with her um, because uh, my partner's work was so flexible. She was like working in assisted living, like in the closet, like on calls with clients uh, while I was there with my grandmother in her last like month. And uh, it was really, really nice to get to be there and do all that. So all that to say, at that time, I was brewing this aerobics class. So my, I first land in LA and um, I start taking aerobics classes because I didn't know if there was a gym that I was doing gym working out. Like uh, when I lived in Brooklyn, I found a great like YMCA. So for the last couple of years I lived there, I was like doing, you know, mostly elliptical, but like, you know, some group exercise classes, some aqua aerobics and things like that. And when I moved to LA, I didn't quite find a gym that I vibed with. And so I just started taking aerobics classes one off at a studio that was near my house that advertised all levels classes. And, um, I took those classes and I was like, this is not all levels. <laughs> I was like, this is not all levels. I like knew, um, I was in pretty good shape at the time, not nearly as good shape as I am now, but, um, and I knew like, if I was struggling in parts of those classes that there were people that who couldn't have hung for any of it. And I was like, this is not an all levels class. Like you're, this is false advertising. That's what I felt. Um, you know, I mean, and I'm still a lawyer, right? That doctor of laws is still in my brain. So, uh, and also I'm just like someone who cares about accessibility. I care about people being included. I've been excluded so much in my life that like, it really matters to me to try to include people as much as I can. And I've also, there's like, you know, everything has balance, right? So there's also ways in which you can be trying hard to be so inclusive that you actually are kind of outside your boundaries. And so it's really like figuring out like 
how to be inclusive, but also you can't be everything to everybody. Um, not being a people pleaser, right? Anyway, but there's plenty of things you can do, like have sturdy chairs available, like um, have class, like give lots of variations. It's not a modification. It's a variation. That's an important language difference that I use intentionally. Um, because if you're giving variations, there's no right way to do something, right? You're giving just a different way. A modification indicates that there's a right way and uh, some other way, right? It's not like that. Life shouldn't be like that. So I'm in these classes thinking, gosh, there's got to be a better way. And then this was the aha moment where I knew uh, where Faculty Dance Party really came to me. Prince died. And one of the teachers had a Prince a Memorial class. And I was so excited to take a Prince aerobics class. And there was like not even one Prince song. Like, I want to say like maybe there was one towards the end, but I was like really upset. <laughs> I was like, how can you call this a Prince class? This isn't a Prince class. Um and it's all good. I mean, she was a nice uh, instructor, but like, I was just like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And while I was dancing, I was just thinking, I was like, wow, like this is a lot like nightlife production, like having, you want to have good lighting. I mean, I knew a lot about how to create space from like, you know, hosting nightclubs. So, uh, and good music, like good music is essential. Uh, so I just was like, huh, what if I taught aerobics? Like I was like, kind of, I thought I was nuts. Like, um, at that time, like, cause I was like, who am I to teach aerobics? But when I look back on all the hard times in my life, um, I turned to dance aerobics every time. Like I got stood up, uh, by my first girlfriend for Valentine's day. And I did dance aerobics in my dorm room by myself. Like I just needed to get the energy out. And, um, like I was really depressed as a sophomore in college and I just knew I made the decision to stop hating myself so much. So what did I turn to? I started doing dance aerobics cause I knew it made me happier. Um, so anyway, I've always like, it's always been such a, a home for me and I never realized like, oh, lots of people go into aerobics teaching from like a dance background or an athletics background. I just have a fat girl who likes to move. <laughs> dance aerobics joy background, right? Like it is just like that. Um, so I was thinking like, maybe I should start a class. And then the Missing Richard Simmons podcast came out, a literal podcast about um, maybe perhaps the most famous aerobics instructor that ever existed other than Miss Piggy. Um, and I heard this from the perspective of someone who at the time had only had Reiki level one and two certification. I'm now a Reiki master. Um, and I did my Reiki master apprenticeship uh, and studies during the first six months of Fat Kid Dance Party. So like, this is my healing, right? Like it's, it's so much a healing. It's not just an aerobics class. But um, I just heard Richard Simmons' story from the position of someone who like knew how important spiritual hygiene is and like maintaining boundaries and like understanding how much you're willing to work and willing to give in order to preserve the magic that you have to offer. And I heard the story of a man who just burned himself out, burned all the oil he had in his pot and wasn't serving from an overflow, was in fact serving from a burnt out empty pot until he couldn't go on. Um, and I thought that was really sad because like in the end of our lives, like what we really have, the only thing we have is the connection we have with other people and to have burnt himself out to the point where he wasn't even connecting with the people he said he loved that just felt so sad to me. So I was thinking about doing this class um, and then really studying Richard Simmons. And then I got word uh, from, it was so interesting. A good friend of mine that I had known from my Brooklyn party girl days, like we met in our early messy twenties. Um, she became a minister. <laughs> so funny. 
funny how you can meet people. Like I have a friend from messy party days that is now like a professor at a very prestigious university, a few actually. Um, so it's just funny how life takes you places. But anyway, so she, uh, she was like, Oh my God, my new boyfriend is opening this, uh, queer body positive gym. And I was like, wait, what? Um, and so that's how I got connected to a place to teach this aerobics class that I'd had an idea for. Um, and so I auditioned, I got the gig, um, and I, I had to like come up with two aerobics numbers, which I was like really out of my depth, but not cause it's all just drag, right? Drag kinging taught me a lot. And, um, but it is a lot of work. Like when you do a drag act or a burlesque act, typically I think most people only do like one or two in a show. In my drag troupe, we were doing, I was doing like seven or eight numbers plus hosting. So, you know, I, I started hot. I started, I started doing a lot and I, I learned before I learned what capacity was. Um, but aerobics really was the learning curve was for me, it was choreographing. Um, and then also learning like anatomy and physiology. Um, I got my group exercise certification, which involved a lot of anatomy and physiology, um, and learning some moves and some basics about choreography. But like, you know, I have my process, my artistic process that's been developed, um, that I've been cultivating. And I kind of knew going into it because I started, um, I didn't start teaching my class because the gym didn't open. Oh my God. Like, here's the thing about opening a small business. Uh, it's not going to open when you think it's going to open. It just is going to open when it's ready. And, um, after all the permitting and all the stuff, the gym was ready to be opened right when my grandmother was dying. And I just had to tell my boss, I was like, look, I can't do this. I can't start when you're starting. Cause I got to deal with my grandmother. Um, and then he was not, um, he was not particularly kind about that, but he uh, gave me basically a month. And then my grandmother passed away and he straight up just told me like, if you don't start this class, I'm gonna give away your time slot. And I was like, okay. So I started the class on March 2nd. It was like a month and a day or something after she died. Um, so I had a little bit of time, but not a lot. And I also like, did a practice class the week before I started. So I think that was really good for me because I just wanted to see what it was like to teach because I had never taught aerobics before. So I did a free class for some friends. I had them fill out surveys. I'll say this. I, I know I talk a lot of shit about Dara, but she was a really supportive partner. She was my biggest cheerleader. Like I will never settle for a partner who doesn't cheer me on to the level that Dara Barlin did. Um, maybe even more than Dara did. Like she was an incredible cheerleader and a researcher. <laughs> that was her main consulting stuff was research. And so she could write me a survey in like five seconds and get me the kind of data that I needed to make me better. And I really appreciate that about her. And I actually still wish I could tap her survey uh, skills sometimes. Um, so she had this great survey for my people um, and they wrote out and I got some really good feedback from that and it really helped me refine uh, my process and my teaching. And um, yeah, so I just went from there. Like I just like start before you're ready. Like the class as it exists now is a total evolution from where it started, but it couldn't have evolved if I had never started. So, and what my friend Mindy, who I've interviewed on this podcast a couple of times said an interesting, beautiful thing. When she finds a good artist on Instagram, she likes to scroll to the beginning of their feed uh, in order to see where they came from. And I think that's really, really uh, a beautiful perspective because everyone's going to start at a messy spot and just get better and better. Right. And nobody, it's really hard to connect to people who are perfect. Right. Like we, we like are sold this idea by capitalism that you have to be perfect in order to be valuable. And that's just, um, a tool to keep you afraid and keep you worried, you know, like that you're not going to do it well enough. Um, 
Uh, success looks like failure about 80% of the time. I wish I had known that when I had started any of my endeavors. I did not learn that until like probably about midway through this Fat Kid Dance Party evolution. And um, now I'm just willing to fail more because I'd rather fail faster and learn than uh, not try and not know, right? And, um, you know, you're just kind of constantly tinkering. I feel like the way the universe works is honestly just like an experiment. It's like, oh, can these things come together? Like, I think life is always trying to like kind of vibe towards what we call fate. But like, you have to like try. God can't work unless you're acting. God can't like work unless you're taking some action going out of your way one of the best ways to judge with the universe is to like start taking a different path to work and changing up your routine even changing like the part of the couch you sit on or what side of the bed you're getting out of like it really makes a big difference energetically and how we're received in the universe and how the universe helps us with all the things um so i had this place where i was teaching my class um my class oh we had this uh there was a a video about my class. So I got some good press right away. So I, I want to say too, I started the class on March 2nd. She's a Pisces. Uh, Faculty Dance Party has four placements in Pisces, which is a stellium. Anything more than uh, three is a stellium. And she has four placements in Aries. So the fact that like, and Faculty Dance Party, when I look at her birth chart, is the opposite of all of my placements. So my personal placements are heavy in like Capricorn and Scorpio. <laughs> We got a lot of Pisces. We got a lot of Aries. Um, but with the Taurus moon, where like, I love that so much because the moon sign is like where we find our connection, um, especially with other people. And Taurus is about home. And I really think this class is about finding home within our own bodies. Uh, and Taurus is also about the body too. And so I really think that's an important part of that birth chart. Um, I didn't look at the birth chart when I started the class. I was just starting under the gun <laughs> from my boss. And um, I, yeah, so I started the class. I started my Reiki master uh, teaching. Uh, this woman wanted to do a story about my class. Uh, she was this great storyteller uh, through Pop Sugar. Um, so she had the engine. She had a great uh, camera person that came. And I want to also give Dara credit for this. Dara, um, in many ways, Facky Dance Party has had a lot of daddies. You know what I mean? There's a lot of daddy energy that has been added to like whatever mommy energy I bring to it, right? Dara was like a good daddy for Facky Dance Party in the early days. She like is a good hype person. She's a union organizer. She's good at like reaching out to people and getting people to show up for stuff. And so she got, I was like really lazy about getting people to that, that shoot for that class. I was like, eh, if we have seven or eight people, it'll be great. Um, and Dara was like, no, we need to pack that room. So she got like probably 25 people there. Um, and I looked great. The video was great because of all those people. Like it looked really cool because of all those people. Um, and the storytelling was great. And that video went viral. Like it went, uh, it was released on the Capricorn full moon in July. Uh, so mind you, I'd started this class like a few months before. And suddenly there's this video with 4 million views all over the world. People are like, oh, I want this where I'm at, blah, blah, blah. And it gave me so much juice in the beginning, like proof of concept, right? Like this is something that people want and people want to do. But it went viral. I did not have a website. I had nothing to offer. I had no workout video or anything like that, right? So I was like, okay, well, I need a workout video. I was like my big goal. So I ended up uh, taking a coaching program um, I had never done any media training, anything on camera, um, and I saw that as a need uh, that I wanted to do. It's so ironic because essentially, like, the coaching program I went into 
was not a standard on camera training thing. It was actually really more about like uh, getting your fear blocks out. And that is some kind of, that is some coaching work I had done before with other people. But this was like specifically to make you better on camera because the more you're able to connect off the cuff and just trust what's coming through you, the better connection you can make with someone, whether this be in a one-to-one conversation on a podcast or like on stage or whatever. Right. So um, it was excellent training and I really loved the weekend I did. And I had a little bit of money that I, my mom gave me from her portion of grandmother's estate and I invested it in myself. So I invested in coaching. And, um, so I love, I did their next level coaching program, which was like a three month long thing. And the project I worked on, what I loved about this coaching program, um, and I actually found the same to be true in uh, Ashley Manta's Activating Your Cosmic Pussy program is like, it's like a choose your own adventure. It's like you pick your project, you pick what you're working on. And like the group helps to vibe you up and get through those fear blocks so you can move forward. So I did an Indiegogo. It was my second ever crowdfund. Um, I had crowdfunded once before on my blog um, to pay for a new MacBook because I really needed it. Um, and so this one, I did a crowdfund for the workout video series. Um, and it was always going to be a series because I'd done enough dance aerobics. I n- knew how fun it was to have like different shoots, you know, essentially like different videos to work with um, instead of just the same one over and over again. I also knew how good it was to have um, good music. I bought a whole series of workout videos once called Hip Hop Abs. And I was like, hip hop's in the title, but there's only one song in every class. It was really sad for me. I was like, how is there only one song in every class? And it's not even a song I know. Um so I worked really hard to get great music that all the music from the video is friends or friends of friends or friends of friends of friends. Um, and I'm so grateful for how good the music ended up being. Everyone over delivered. Like I paid a lot of the people. I mean, most of the crew was paid. Um, I think there was like one volunteer, uh, or no, my cousin like split her pay with somebody else to bring another set of hands. Um, God, my cousin Sue is such a boss. She brought the, um, the lenses from Grey's Anatomy to the shoot. So because she was working on Grey's at the time. Uh, so I have these amazing like shots because of these lenses. I don't know anything about how this stuff works, but I know it happened for me and I feel really grateful. Um, Emily Aguilar did the, I found her on a women in film and production list. Um, and that was like a friend said, oh, you should reach out on this list to find someone to produce your video. And she well over delivered. When I met her and I learned she was a Gemini, and that her last two projects were a horror movie and a kid's Christmas movie, I was like, you contain multitudes. You are definitely someone who can do a workout video, even though you've never done one before. Um, And it was, the shoot was amazing. The cast was amazing. My friend Drew flew in from uh, Portland, Oregon to be part of the shoot. And that was really fun because Drew and I are just like old, old buddies. And like, he makes me laugh a lot. He made the shoot way funnier. Uh, My mom flew in. Uh, to support. And I love that. Like, it's, I'll have to say, like, I was really afraid to tell my mom, like, when I wasn't going to be a lawyer anymore. Um, And she's been very supportive of my aerobics (laughs) endeavors. So, you know, people can surprise you. So um, the shoot was amazing. I produced this workout video. Um, As we were leaving the shoot, it occurred to me, I was like, oh my God, I feel like this is harder. Like it just, it took everything out of me. And I was like, this was harder than taking the bar in two states. Um, And and literally like when I took the bar, I had to go from Albany to New Brunswick, New Jersey overnight, like um, during this testing process, it was nuts. Anyway, um, so 
I produced this workout video. The editing took forever. And I'll say like, I want to own some of that because like, I just don't like editing and I don't like watching the same thing over and over again. And like watching myself uh, on the same thing over and over again, man, that was a lot. But it finally was done. Like we shot it at the end of April and the editing was finally done, I think by the, by November. And I was able to release it to all the early adopters who bought it through the Indiegogo. And then uh, here's my greatest error. Uh, with that crowdfund. And this is me passing knowledge to you. So hopefully you can do better than I did. Uh, I didn't set a marketing budget. I like crowdfunded probably about $10,000 and I spent it all on the production and I should have saved at least 2000 to put an engine behind it because you need money for marketing. Bill Gates says, uh, if he had $2 left, he'd spend one on PR. So that's what I want to tell you is like, get a PR engine and put it behind it. Um, you don't have to pay for PR necessarily, but like you, you might want to, um, you might want to get someone who really knows what they're doing. Uh, cause it's really hard to figure out communications. And I also want to say this, like my company exists at this point. Like I've learned a lot of lessons over these years about like, I tried to get too big, too fast. Um, not on purpose. It's just like, I was trying to make my life out of this class. Right. And, reach people in new ways. And so I had to fail a few different ways. And I've realized now the most important thing to me is just to keep teaching these classes. Like I've got, I figured, um, you know, using Richard Simmons is like my barometer of how I do my boundaries with how I teach and how much I teach is, um, I was meeting a lot of aerobics instructors who were teaching like eight times a week. And I was like, that is more aerobics than I ever want to do. So I figured three times a week is how much I'll teach. I, and then I have time and space in my body for choreography, which takes a long time and a lot of body. Um, and then taking other people's classes because I'm still wanting to learn more. Um, and I learn a lot from what I enjoy about the way other people teach. Um, anyway, so that's what my company exists to do. Facilitate me teaching this class three times a week. I've tried other things. I've tried instructor training, but like it just isn't what this is for. Like Richard Simmons didn't have any, um, instructors that worked under him. He had instructors that worked with him that did their own thing. Um, and that's really, I think the beauty in it. I know so many dance aerobics instructors and we all do differently. And I think that's great. Um, and that's what I prefer. So really nailing down a central focus. Um, also I got on a personal growth plan, um, in 2019, like I had a lot of communications difficulties to put it mildly um, with like just stuff on the internet, people saying a lot of lies about me, actually, uh, really hurtful things. Um, and dealing with that was really hard. And I kind of realized like, okay, what's most important to me serving the people who I'm here to serve. I'm not here to serve everybody. I'm here to serve the people who want the medicine I can offer. Um, and really focusing on that, focusing on the company, like supporting me teaching three times a week. Um, and what does that look like right now? I'm teaching two zoom classes, either a private zoom or one for my membership, um, as like the alternate zoom, always at least one for the membership every week. And then, uh, an on-demand class that I film in the forest, but you know, hopefully uh, this year I'll be able to, let's do some dream building this year. I want to go on a COVID safe tour. I want to be able to teach outside. I want to have a good circus tent so that we can have shade or um, weather protection. I want to have a good air purifier to have with me. I want to live in an RV uh, with my cat and I want to just go from place to place and like not be in a rush. I want to still be able to do all of like the online work I do, all my communications work. And I want to have a little support to do that. Um, and 
just see how that can look. Um, I've already started, I've been calling it the just saying it can even make it happen uh, tour because I teach uh, the Kate Bush song cloud busting and in, in class and it's really fun to make people say that out loud just saying it can even make it happen. Um, something good. I know I just know something good is going to happen is what we say first and then we say just saying it can even make it happen. Um, and so that's what I want. I want to be able to take this on the road. These two years where I haven't been on the road have been, oh, I didn't even say in 2018. So class wasn't even a year old yet. In 2018, I started touring because like there was this viral video and I was like, oh, let me get this to places. So because I was teaching in LA, I was flying to these tour stops and they were basically just kind of breaking even. Like I would sell enough tickets to pay for my plane ticket and my accommodations and then go back home. Um, so the idea for the tour this time is just to meander because everything I do is digital now. Um, and so as long as I can get Wi-Fi or a good satellite Wi-Fi, I can do it. Right. I don't know how it's going to happen. Like right now I've been like kind of, as I said, I think at the top of the hour, I've been uh, making a lot of lifestyle choices to just like stay low profile. And I, I don't want to get coronavirus. I don't want to put myself in the stream of it. I don't want to mutate it. I'm triple vaccinated and still use all the things that I can possibly do to stay out of the stream because my body is how I deliver my gift to the world. And it matters to me that I'm able to continue doing this for the rest of my life. Um, and I don't want to F around with long COVID, you know, so being COVID safe matters to me ethically, just like also, I don't want to mutate the virus because I don't want someone's kid to die because it passed through my lungs and I don't even know I'll never meet that kid. You know what I mean? Like I'm sad anyway. So all of that really matters to me and living through my ethics really matters to me. And so my dreams involve like being able to take this and still see people and connect with people, but in safer ways. And I think there are ways to do it and I'm believing for it. I don't know how it's going to happen. I could never have predicted that life would have ended me up in Washington state of all places, <laughs> um, teaching aerobics online, uh, living down the street from my mom. Like life is really different than I thought. Um, but I'm so grateful to not be a lawyer anymore. I'm so grateful. I'm in the best health of my life, mental health, physical health, all of it. And the world is like chaos outside. The world has never been more chaotic, chaotic in my lifetime. Um, I can't, I don't even know what it's going to look like next week. I feel like the way it looks this week is really different than it did last week. Like it's nuts out here, but anyway, I'm glad <laughs> that I got to reflect on all of this faculty dance party stuff with you and like my path and my career path and all of this. And I really, really hope that it inspires you to do a thing, to start your thing. Cause like five years would have gone by whether I had started this class or not. And I, I could have easily just said, oh, my grandmother just died. Like maybe I won't do this thing. Um, but if I hadn't just taken that opportunity and done something with it, then I wouldn't have affected all the people who have taken this class before. And I'll say this, like in the five years, I've had probably more than a thousand people take faculty dance party classes, just like a live class with me, not even including the folks who have gotten the workout videos, um, and my biggest struggle is just getting in front of new people and teaching people what's available, right? Communicating with them that this is an aerobics class. You're welcome. Show up, come at least once. It'll change your life. Cause I think it will. Um, and I know that like all of these people are affected in some way, even taking one class with me could give you a nugget that could change the way you experience your body or your life or worrying or whatever. Right. Um, and that's also part of why I started this podcast, um, was to support the communications for Facky Dance Party, um, and to kind of keep that mindset work going because the class is as much about mindset as it is about movement. And, um, but also, you know, because it was a, a 
thing from God. Like I knew I needed to start this podcast. So, um, and just like this aerobics kind of just came to me, like, I think it's all a gift and I think we're all just here to do whatever is coming through us. I think we're each and every one of us uniquely, um, gifted with dreams and desires on our heart. It's not what our parents think we should do. It's not what society is telling us we should do. It's just what's uniquely for us and what's true for us. And it can take a lot of bravery to be like, no, this is the thing I want to do. Like, you know, I think about great guitar players and like how they, um, you know, you just have to practice your hands bleed. There's like a certain obsessiveness that goes into it. Prince Rogers Nelson has an Aries South node. Um, that's where the moon was uh, when he was born. Um, the South node was in Aries and that lends to a kind of obsessive selfishness that can get you to learn all the instruments you need to bring your gift to the earth. And not so many people um, have that drive and you have to kind of create the drive for yourself. You have to like decide that you want to make this life worth living for you and what your unique thing is for the world. And I want to tell you too, you're not too old and it's not too late. Like, I can't believe, I'm so grateful I started this in my late thirties, you know, like I wish I had started this in my twenties. Like the other day I realized a time in my life where if I had um, chosen a different path, I could have started these aerobics a lot earlier. I'm like, I don't know how the idea would have come, but I think it would have come. But you know what? Whatever. It started when it started. And now I'm more relatable to people who went to law school. <laughs> and I can write a really good waiver. And I have to say, I never doubt my waivers. I, my waivers are great. Um, so anyway, whatever. It's just so funny how our lives kind of meander and connect us to people. And um, oh, one last really important story. I was sitting, I was trying to do this aerobics class from scratch, right, to do this workout video series, I'm thinking, like, how am I going to get this music that I want? Um, I really love the song Rebel Girl by Bikini Kill. Um, it's why I called my party Rebel Cupcake was because of that song. Like, I really was like, oh, I really want this song. And I went to a Shabbat dinner. I didn't even want to go, but I went anyway. I went to a Shabbat dinner with some friends of friends, and I sat down next to someone who's a music, like, she works at a record label. Um, and was the person that makes the decision, doesn't ultimately make the decision, but the person who emails Bikini Kill and says, hey, can we use this for this project? So like, what, I mean, God is so good. And that person was willing to be my music supervisor for free for the music video, for the workout video. Oh my God. So like everything lines up in these really wacky ways. And it's all about people and connection and growing and being the best version of yourself so that you can devote the real you to the gifts that you have. Uh, we need you. We need your gifts. I think each and every one of us and our unique gifts come together to up-level humanity. And I don't think that many of us need to achieve our gifts in order to up-level humanity. I think we really can do it even with just like a critical minority of people who are willing to be um, selfish in the pursuit of their dreams and selfless in the gift of their dreams. And I love you so much. I'm so glad you're here and we'll talk next week.